Hello and welcome to Faithfully Memphis from the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Today is March the 23rd of the year 2023 and my name is Emily Austin. I am the communication lady for the Episcopal Church in West Tennessee. We are currently in the middle of a series on women in the church and in a few moments I am really excited to have on um, a great mentor and friend of mine, um, Miss Ann Langston. I got to know her through uh, my previous work um, at Church Health where she retired just this last year um, after having been involved in uh, the uh, healing ministry um, and service of Church Health for from its very founding. Um, and she'll talk a little bit about that um, in our interview in a few moments. But first, the saint of the day. In a couple of days on March the 25th, we're going to be celebrating uh, the Feast of the Annunciation of Jesus Christ to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and this feast commemorates how God made known to a young Jewish woman that she was to be the mother of a son. And the Annunciation has been a major theme in Christian art in both East and West, and innumerable sermons and poems have been composed by it. Um, I rem actually have a really beautiful picture depicting the Annunciation that a friend gave to me many years ago. It's a piece of artwork that's hanging at the Art Institute of Chicago, um, and it's um, St. Mary surrounded in a field of um, Easter lilies, and it's something that uh, I actually I hang in my bathroom because I like to really think about um, who she was, who she is, um, and just the immense amount of uh, of courage and beauty and absolute willingness to serve that she expressed. The term coined by Cyril of Alexandria for the Blessed Virgin, Theotokos, um, was affirmed by the General Council of Ephesus in uh, 431. Um, many theologians stress that Mary accepted her vocation with um, perfect conformity of will, um, which is important, especially now when we're having conversations around consent, which hopefully we will continue having those. Mary's self-offering in response to God's call has been compared to that of Abraham, the father of believers, um, just as Abraham was called to be the father of the chosen people and accepted his call. So Mary was called to be the mother of the faithful and the new Israel. She's God's human agent in the mystery of the incarnation. Um, her response to the angel, let it be to me according to your word, is identical with the faith expressed in the prayer that Jesus taught. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, but while many Christians emphasize the submissiveness of Mary, um, according to the 6th century Syriac writer uh, Jacob of Sarug, the most important words that Mary spoke were not those of quiet acquiescence, but rather, how can this be? Um, 
And definitely in Jacob's account of the gospel encounter, Mary's response is much more than a single question. Um, instead, a teenage girl takes on an archangel in a theological debate and freely consents only when she has been convinced that the angel's word is true. In this interpretation, it's Mary's eagerness to understand God's plan and her own role in it that makes her exemplary rather than her meek consent. So she was listening and she was considering. Um, Jacob contrasts her behavior with Eve, who did not question the serpent that tempted her in the garden, but uncritically accepted the claim that she and Adam would become like gods without testing at first. But um, in Eve's case, uh, quote, lack of doubt gave birth to death, unquote, because she simply believed whatever she was told and, quote, was won over without any debate, end quote. Um, and, but in both of these interpretations, however, our salvation is only possible because of Mary's free cooperation with God in that salvation. It's been said, quote, God made us without us and redeemed us without us, but cannot save us without us, end quote. Mary's ascent to God's call opened the way for God to accomplish the salvation of the world, and it is for this reasons that all generations have called her blessed. Uh, some of those notes came from uh, Forward Day by Day, which is an amazing uh, print resource that can be found in a lot of our churches here, our Episcopal churches here in West Tennessee, but there's also a fantastic app. Um, you can just go into the app store and look for Forward day by day they have uh, daily meditations and a lot of in great information and uh, meditations on feasts and fasts and uh, some of the saints of our church one of my favorite prayers is known as the Magnificat the song of Mary um, it comes from uh, the book of Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 55 and this is the prayer that um, Saint Mary prays after her visit with the angel Gabriel let's pray it together my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant from this day all generations will call me blessed the Almighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him. In every generation, he has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Amen.
Welcome back to Faithfully Memphis. My name is Emily Austin. I am so delighted to have on with me a mentor, a friend, someone who has known me for a long time and will probably can remember some goofy stuff that I've done in the Maya life. Anne Langston, welcome to Faithfully Memphis. Thanks, Emily. I can tell some stories. You and I first met when many years ago I was at the beginning of my a nonprofit communications career. And some really good folks at Church Health took a chance on a, a, a burgeoning mommy blogger and actually hired me. And you were one of the first people I remember on my first day of work at Church Health, who welcomed me and made me feel like, okay, this is a special place. And you're a big part of what made church health, church health. I don't think you ever set out to be a nonprofit administrator, did you? I did not. That was certainly not what I thought my career path would be. But you just said something that I helped make church health what it was. I think that's backwards. I think church health helped make me who I am. 
and gave me a path that was a whole lot more fun than what I had ever envisioned could be my my career. And it was fun. It was work, but it was fun. Yeah. And but no, I started out practicing law. I went to law school and practiced for 22 years. Loved every minute of it and never intended to to shift gears except when I decided that I was going to leave, all my partners said it wasn't a question of if, it was a question of when, because we knew you were going to go in to do something that was in the nonprofit or ministry world. Yeah. So others knew me better than I did at that Isn't point. it crazy how that happens sometimes yeah. where people, you know, it's those people who are shepherding us and they see us, they see our full potential before we do. And they also know what, what makes your heart sing. And they, yeah. they, they watch you and they watch what lights you up and then they think, okay, yeah, they'll probably someday do that. Look at where you are, Emily. Well, will you tell me a little bit about that heart song of yours? First notes, if you will, of that song that you heard in your childhood and growing up and that would eventually lead you to where you are now. Well, it, surprisingly, it's very rooted in family and church. Mm-hmm. I'm an only child, and I grew up in a family that, I mean, if you didn't think you were going to go to church, then you weren't thinking. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just my parents. It was my grandparents. Both of them lived in rural communities, one in North Carolina and one in South Georgia. And I would go and spend weeks with them. My grandfather in North Carolina was the choir director in their little Methodist mm-hmm. church. I mm-hmm. still say, let's go back and sing Little little Church in the Vale. Yeah. Um, and then my mother's family was in South Georgia. And believe it or not, I grew up going to Baptist revivals in the middle of South Georgia. I believe it because I feel like in the South... When you grow up in the church, and by the church, I mean the big C church, there's a lot of cross-pollination. Absolutely. And I met at that point in time probably some of the most dedicated people in those two churches that lived their life according to what it was they they cared about and what they talked about and what they learned when they were in church community. And that's what started me on that journey. But then the, probably the most formative was my youth group mm-hmm. in, when yeah. I was in junior high and high school in Savannah, Georgia. And my dearest friends were in that group. We did everything together. And our leaders were mentors in such a way. And it wasn't so much about study Mm. as it was about learning how to help and get involved in community. And they're the ones that really put that spark in me that wanted to get out and do that. What were some of the things, what are some of the memories that you have of, of those service opportunities? Well, the church I grew up in Savannah is right downtown. Mm -hmm. It's it's Wesley Monumental Methodist. Yeah. Yeah. on one of the old squares downtown but on that same square was a public elementary school that was very lacking in resources and Mm -hmm. served the inner city it's interesting because i've sort of come full circle back to being involved in in schools here in memphis the same way and our youth group adopted that school Wow, and we would have it would I guess you'd laugh because this would have been back in the the late sixties. We would have events out in the square for the children in the school that just gave them a chance to play and be yeah. with older kids, yeah, and I just loved every minute of it that's i i you're you're really building a beautiful image. I was telling you off air that. Last year, I was my first trip to Savannah that I'd ever had. And I was like, why have I not been here before? It's a beautiful place. 
the disparity is similar to the way that it is in Memphis. Very much so. And just the haves and the haves nots. Mm-hmm. It's it's visual. You you see it. And also having a tween of my own and knowing the just adoration that she has for those older kids. Absolutely. I mean, yes. what a beautiful what a beautiful picture that is to think about how that just gift of time and mm-hmm. gift of an ear laid or planted a seed for a lifetime of ministry. It really did. And 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 those were volunteer youth group leaders. There were two couples that just devoted themselves to youth. They yeah. had, you know, families of their own with kids that age. And it meant something to have other adults besides just your parents mm-hmm. that were watching you and caring for you and nurturing you and letting you try some things and question everything. Yeah, and, and question everything. Yes. We need those safe spaces. Absolutely. Young people need to have a place where they can take the training wheels off. Yeah, and can say and challenge, be challenging. Mm-hmm. And I think our young people today are probably more challenging, although you have to remember in the late 60s and early 70s. Oh, yeah. The whole world was challenging because we were in the middle of Vietnam and yeah. and all of that was going on. So you, you've got to put all those dynamics together and think about what young people needed to be discussing and yeah. the, the fears they had about the world. And then the disparities they saw literally out the front door of their yeah. church. Yeah, it's real. It's real. And yep. we're and I think that that's a big parallel that we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. Um, they, these are not extrapolations. This is the world that we're living in. Yeah. The hard part, I think, when I look back on that is I would think that this many years later, it would be dramatically different. Yeah. And we're still struggling with yeah. many of the same things. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't ever want to give up. Yeah. Because we've got... We've got to get to a point where the church is being the church, and we can truly love one another, but we also have to take care of each other. Yes. And I think that's what I learned in those early days was that I had some responsibility. Yeah, yeah. The saying is, we may not see the work get done. I would revise that to, we more than likely will not see the work get done in our lifetimes, but it's our call as Christians to carry that baton and keep pushing and keep going. That's right. Do we and not give up and not get frustrated that there that there aren't solutions. Yeah. I mean, think about what Jesus did. He couldn't fix everything in the world, so to speak, and yeah. neither can we. Right. But, but we can sure spend our lives thinking how we can make it better and then taking some action. And bringing other people along to think about it, too. I mean, I think the most important thing that's going on right now is I'm so energized by the generation I see coming into nonprofit work and really making it not just, I don't want to say more businesslike, but structured in such a way. I love all the measuring that's going on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the trial and error and those things that have been applied in in other places before with the hope that maybe we can break through some of these barriers that have yeah. been holding us down. So that was your life growing up in Georgia. What? How did you eventually find yourself here in Memphis? 
Well, I left Georgia and went to college in Dallas at mm-hmm. Southern Methodist University. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not an Episcopalian, can you tell? But I love my Episcopal friends, and I spend a lot of time in the Episcopal Church. Well, I, you know, you're you're a member of the Methodist Church, and we are. I think we're if if we're not already in full communion, we're really getting super close. We're real close. Yeah. Yes. So Absolutely. some I always say some of my best friends are are Methodists. Y'all are my homies for sure. Good. Well, you can come anytime. Yeah, I do. I do. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, so I left in Georgia and went to college there, and. My boyfriend's best friend happens to now be my husband. Yeah, Dudley. So, yes. But I went back to Atlanta after I graduated from law school there. And he was traveling to Atlanta and called me up and said, let's have dinner. And the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. And I ended up in Memphis. And Memphis is home and always will be. I love this city. Yeah. I enjoyed my time. Of course, I love Savannah and Atlanta. They've grown and blossomed in ways that Memphis, you know, had the yellow fever and kept us from doing some of those things. But I'm really proud of this city. I am, too. I'm really proud of it. I think we have, in some ways, our struggles, I mean, this is sound trite, but have made us stronger. Yeah. And I hope that the divides that still exist will, will break down as we realize that we what we've got here is special. Yeah. I love to travel and hear people talk about Memphis. I do, too. And I I had a fun experience at church recently. I went over to speak to a woman who came in with her suitcase. Well, you know, we have lots of people that come in off the streets, and I thought maybe the lady needed some help. Well, it turned out she had come here on the Amtrak train from New Orleans. She was traveling across the country looked online, picked out our church, and took an Uber and came to church. <laughs> what a time to be alive in the church. And this is why I tell our churches, awesome? y'all have got to make sure that your websites are up and correct. Absolutely. And she was, she just saw who we were and said, I want to go experience that church. And I think that's what Memphis is, is opening up to, where people come here, they find, wow, this is a really interesting, different city. But it's got a whole lot of love in it. Absolutely. And um, a whole lot of love at the corner of Peabody and... Bellevue. Yes. Peabody and Bellevue. I moved across the street. Yeah. So... Peabody and Bellevue. What happened in... Peabody and Bellevue. Well, for the people that know the history of Memphis, Reverend Frank McRae was my pastor, which is what attracted my husband and I to join St. John's Methodist as we were visiting churches. And he called me one day and he says, there's this young guy in town that I want you to meet. He has this idea. And I think it, as Scott Morris will tell you, Frank made it his idea. Yeah, yeah. To have a health clinic. that's part of a church or is in based in the church community. And uh, by the way, he needs a free lawyer and you're it. Yeah. That was it. And you were, you were like, (laughs) how did you respond to that? I said, Frank, when am I supposed to meet him? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what you said to Frank. Yeah. Always. Yes, sir. When can it happen? And so I met Scott Morris, and the rest is history. We started working together. That would have been in 1980. I guess I first met him maybe in 85, mm-hmm. and then we started working together in 86 and opened Church Health in 87, and I just ran along behind Frank and Scott and did what they told me to do. Well, yeah, because I think that 
in the history and in the lore of church health and any kind of organization that has that kind of reach and makes that kind of a difference, it's easy to sort of deify and glorify the doctors in the front line and the people who are out there seeing patients. But you also have to have people to make sure that everybody's getting their paychecks and things are getting taken care of. You have to have the people like you um, to keep it moving along. Well, I think you just have to have somebody that's, as you said, paying attention to the details and working behind the scenes to just to get figure out how to build an organization. And that was the fun of being at church health. The joy there was you didn't hire people very often that didn't want to be there. that didn't understand because once you met a patient or talked to one of the providers, your heart was in it. Yeah. And, I spent a lot of time in those early years asking people, what is it about the Bible that says we should be engaged in healing ministry? Yeah, yeah. And I have have several lists from various clergy and others, and it was just, it was so obvious that that's what we needed to be doing. Yeah. I mean, we do it, I hope, every time the doors of the church open, we're involved in healing, but we needed some physical healing, too. Yeah. And yeah. that's what, what got us all in that same same schedule and same direction of what needed to be built. And who would have known? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember during my tenure at Church Health, I came in at kind of a auspicious time where Crosstown, the, the move to Crosstown and Crosstown as a entity in Memphis was still in its ideation phase. And so when I got hired, we were working over in those scattered buildings all through Midtown. You and I shared a, a old, we're recording this right now in our diocesan house on Poplar. And I, it, it's funny to me that yeah, as, as you were walking in today, I was like, okay, well, here, here's another old building that we're working from. But I came in around that time where Crosstown was being made into a reality. And I mean, I know that I'm I'm really fast forwarding through your career at Church Health, but I remember at that time, you were the person who was tasked with making it happen. And you were deputized to figure out what would Church Health at Crosstown look like? What would it be like to expand this ministry so that more people in need of health care in Memphis could be served and the care would be wraparound. How, I mean, if you had, if someone had told you as a young girl in Savannah that this would be something you'd be tasked with eventually, how do you think you would have received that news? I would say I don't see how in the world I could ever do that. <laughs> I just it doesn't sound like something that would be on my agenda and I certainly wouldn't think I would have any skill set to do it and I'm to be honest with you as I started down that road I didn't think I did either but if I've ever been involved in something I would say was a leap of faith mm-hmm. that was it and I never worried about whether it was going to happen yeah mm-hmm. I don't know why there should have been just agony but there was so much commitment and so many smart people working on it that to put the deal together, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But also there were so many people that saw 
that church health needed to go to the next level. Mm -hmm. But Emily, the thing that made me do it was as I started working on it and talked to the workers that were working in that building, and they would say things to me like, is this going to be a place I can come? Yeah. And is this being, who's paying for this? And I'll never forget a young electrician one day saying something like that to me. And I said, well, people have donated the money to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you know, lady, that's pretty amazing that people would give money to help people like me so I could get healthy. And I said, you know, think about our name. It was a church. We're church help. Yeah. And that's why it's happening. And it just, there was no reason not to have faith that it could happen. Now that's not to say there weren't a lot of turns and twists and everything yeah. to, to see that, but the community of Memphis, and I've said this in so many different venues is the most generous place you could ever find. Mm-hmm. And when Memphis was given the opportunity to help put together both Church Health and other entities to move into Crosstown, they stepped up to the plate and it happened. Yeah. And it's happening all over this city constantly. Yeah. So it's it didn't take it didn't take a leap of faith. It just took a spark, and we and, all flew. And, you know, we're, earlier you were talking a little bit about Memphis and the distinct flavor of this city. There's a, there's a special sauce of Memphis. There, and it's, that, it's not like anywhere else. Uh-uh, and it is not barbecue sauce. It is I mean, not. there's that, but there's a special sauce of Memphis, and I think that... As I reflect on it and I try to figure out what is it about this town that makes it so Memphis is that you have a diversity of faith communities and people coming from a variety of different backgrounds. And we are not of one mind. We certainly are not of one mind. But at the end of the day, there's a sense of community and and. You we're getting better at seeing the people who don't look like us as our neighbors. And I wonder if there is a face faith centric piece to that. Oh, I think there definitely is. And I think that one of the reasons that church health has been successful is it's not. And this was a very conscious decision from the beginning. It's not connected to one church Mm -hmm. it is a christian-based organization that is supported by people of every faith of every size shape and color of christianity Mm -hmm. i mean our christian churches in this city may not agree on anything but they can agree that we should be helping people to be healed in body and spirit and it's it's true. I mean, I'm amazed constantly. And I would say over my years there, one of the things that I learned and shared with a lot of my colleagues is sometimes we don't agree. We don't even begin to see the world that some other Christians the same way yeah. they see it. Yeah. 
But I'll tell you, Emily, I respect some folks that I would not be theologically aligned with more than the people that I may be the closest to because of the depth of their faith Mm -hmm. and their commitment to make the world a better place. And I think that if we could all focus on unifying around that, does it matter? Does all the different stripes and colors and flags and whatever else we fly make as much a difference as it is that we just want to, to do the right thing? That's right. And we have great faith in that there's something far more powerful than we are in God or whomever you may believe. And that's been the gift to me from working in this city. Yeah. Is you don't even have to ask someone, nine times out of ten, if you ask somebody in Memphis, yeah, they're going to tell you where they go to church. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that's one of the things that I think has made the the church have some problems is that we don't always just respect the others, even if we disagree. Yeah. And we have to get past that because in our heart of hearts, we all believe in the same God. Yeah. And I think we all know that we need to help one another. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who that is. And we all, and you have to remember that kind of basic thing yeah. about love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that thing that Jesus kind of called the greatest commandment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't say except. Yeah. It, love one another except. <laughs> yeah. And you're a lawyer. So you would know if there were caveats to yeah, that. Absolutely. Yet. Yeah. So I, uh, I guess I did a talk at church one day, and I labeled it no wiggle room. Yeah. There's no wiggle room in that statement to leave anybody out. That's right. I was spending some time earlier this week on ancestry and just kind of in awe of of all these people who – it's, it's wild to me that I don't even know the names of people, you know, far back in my own lineage that – if they hadn't existed, I wouldn't exist. And and it just made me realize and kind of reaffirm uh, the fact that we are in community. We need each other. Whether our community are the people who we are sharing time and energy with and in a shared space or they're, you know, generations from the past or the people who are going to follow us. Who do you consider to be your community? Who who are those people and that have impacted you in shaping you to who you are and continue to shape you? I would say all of my grandparents and then two people that have been in my life since before I was born and they've both gone on now and those were my godparents. Yeah. They had no children. I was there goddaughter and they treated me like that but they had so much influence on my my heart mm-hmm. and how i feel about other people these people grew up both of them in very solid comfortable homes worked hard all their lives and i never knew a time I talked to them that they didn't tell me about somebody they were helping. Yeah. And somebody that they had accepted that had in some way been an outcast. Yeah. That's important. And they were just good souls. And I think I feel that way about my grandparents that grew up in rural America. 
they were just good souls. And yeah. that's what I always wanted to be. That's your community. That's and my that's, community. And you've taken that torch. You've taken their torch and you've run with it. Well, I don't know that I'm a good soul, but I hope that I am. I think you are. I, I, I mean, from where I'm now sitting, I'm getting to be are. an old soul, but <laughs> I hope it's a good old soul. But this that's a thing about Memphis. You know, you laugh about what's Memphis. It's Memphis's soul. Yeah. I mean, it, music, whatever it is, cooking. But there's something about just the the depth of caring and mm-hmm. looking out for people that's, to me, what's important. Has being a woman affected or colored your professional life and in your life in being a Christian? Ooh, Emily, that's a question I'm not sure I've ever thought about. Um, Obviously it has. I came up at a time when women were not, we were crossing the bar in terms of being professionals, but there were lots of challenges. Yeah. I think I, I would say that the thing that's made the biggest difference in being a woman is sometimes I want look around a room and go, why am I in here? Yeah. And yet I've never wanted to get up and leave. Yeah. If it was a group of men, I just kind of wanted to hold my own and say, let's let's broaden this circle. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that, that's been the most important to me is that everything that I encountered early on in that regard has changed dramatically. Yeah. And young women your age and my daughter's age have, I hope, not encountered any of those same barriers that I had early on. But I had people in my life, like my godparents and my dad, who never said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Right. And those comments don't have to be made anymore. The world just says, women, you're at the table. You can run this place. You can run the Episcopal Diocese. You can run the church. You can run church health. I mean, it's it's a good time. And I think that has been, I hope, more accepting than some of the other barriers that we have as people. Yeah, Um, yeah. And maybe we can just learn a little bit about that and say, you know, they weren't such a bad thing to let in the door. So maybe we need to let other people in the same way we let in the other sex. You know, you know, I think that it is such a beautiful thing for me to live into as throughout my faith journey and to be in the position that I am in that our church is inclusive and and the Methodist church is as well. But the table is set and there is a seat for you, no matter what gender you are, no matter what race you are. Yes. The fact and representation matters. It it really does. I think about how when I was growing up, I never I never saw a woman at the altar. It just wasn't it was it was a given. You don't see it. And now that's the complete opposite for my own daughter. She sees a woman, the head of her church here in Memphis and and Shelby County, and she sees a lot of other women that I'm in. You know, I'm not a priest, but I certainly spend a lot of time with female clergy. And my kid, 
has never whenever she, you know she sees other churches that exclude based on gender and other things that's something that she winces at yes and and it's and it's the same i remember when i first came on at church health and seeing um people like you and jenny bartlett prescott and mike sturdivant these three we called you the three wise women y'all were the ones who were making sure that 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 had a degree of power um but were benevolent with that and making sure that with your responsibility and with that power you were sharing it and and i just i just it gives me a blueprint for the kind of leader I want to be and the kind of person that I, I I mold myself after you. And I just appreciate you being that. Well, that's very generous of you, Emily. I hope I can live up to it. Oh, I mean, I want to make a comment about something you just said about the church. And I, I, I think about this a lot because we've lost a lot of people that think the word church is, exclusionary or has a barrier to it and that's true across the world yeah yeah. and it probably always will be yeah i mean most wars have been fought over religion but i hope that people that are looking for something greater in their life that needs to be filled will know that there are churches that fit them yes Yes. And just because you've become disenchanted with one church, it's just like you may be disenchanted with one boss. Okay? Yeah, yeah. But the church is open in different ways. And I hope that people will, will stop and think before throwing the organized religion out the door that there is a big beauty. And you mentioned it when you and I were talking before the show about how important it is to have that community and to come back together and to be able to to learn and study and support one another in our faith journeys. Yes. And I hope we can, as, as a ch- greater church, say one size doesn't fit all. Right. But there's something that fits you, and we hope you'll come and find that place. And I think Memphis has a great smorgasbord of churches. Oh, boy. I I hope that message gets out in the community so people, because it hurts me to see that Mm -hmm. people have have turned away thinking that organized religion. And, you know, it all, like everything else, we all have our warts, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the community is stronger when everybody's there. Well said. As we're ending up our time today, I want to ask you, Anne, this is a question we leave a lot of our interviews with. What's giving you hope today? What is your little pocket of hope today? I think that people in general, if you get down to them, they're looking out for one another. And I look around in my neighborhood, I look at some of the neighborhoods that I go into, and I think COVID was a great example of that. Mm. We stepped up, we helped each other, 
and that's always happened in the world. Think about the disasters in Syria and Turkey and the war in Ukraine. Mm. Nobody's throwing in the towel. Right. They're all looking, how do I get a drink of water for my neighbor? Right. And that's always going to give me hope. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. This has been fun. We'll talk some more offline. Yes, ma'am. All right. Thanks, Emily. for joining me this week on Faithfully Memphis and a special thank you to Ann Langston. You can listen to past episodes of Faithfully Memphis wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, all the places. Toss us a like and a review on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined because that helps us really spread the word about our show and uh, help it to land in front of the ears of folks who might want to hear it. Special thanks to WYXR for being our crosstown home, our Memphis home. My name is Emily Austin for the Episcopal Church in West Tennessee. And until next time, stay safe and stay positive. Bye.